crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Maybe you're just doing chores. Maybe you're out for a walk. Maybe you're just stuck in traffic. Whatever the case, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Third Love. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who thinks every conference championship should go to overtime, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. The open world version of me has been canceled, sadly. Oh, no. Yeah. Are you going to be just a uh, small, uh, small downloadable title now? Hopefully my assets will be reused, but at this point, um, it hasn't been announced yet. You got that sticker on your on your license so that all your assets will be re- reused. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I do have that sticker. So yeah, hopefully they all get they all get reused. Uh well, we got a we got a lot to talk about this week. There's some news. Kristen is referring to some of it, of course, but uh, there's lots more to discuss. It's been a, a pretty crazy week. I went to the Mortal Kombat 11 reveal. I'll talk about that. I even have an interview uh, that I did there that I might put on the end, although it's pretty weird <laughs> i'll talk about that later as well <laughs> and besties ever right there might be something at the end of this and if there is it's weird and <laughs> everybody yeah. everybody listening has already scrubbed to the end to see <laughs> it's if it's, not, it's weird in the in the way you don't want it to be i haven't and, even been uh, introed and you're already throwing it straight to the end of the episode thank yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> that wonderful voice uh is is our buddy we you know that dlc always stands for your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week oh my goodness i'm so excited because dlc stands for dute from the lower continent because from the reckoner au our australian correspondent raj diut <laughs> how's it going buddy <laughs> oh good mate i'm more impressed that you've you've pronounced my surname correctly you haven't said do you uh, duet or dent or devit is sometimes what i get but you know I, I, you've done well very uh, congratulations on that i'm very impressed raj we're so happy to have you here uh, your friend your friend of the show and uh we're excited to talk about stuff you've been going all over the world as well, looking at new games. We have some of that to talk about. But let's get into the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks hanging out there. You should check it out. Join the community. Uh, Raj, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, I think Christian alluded to it very briefly there in his uh, intro as well, but it has to be this cancellation of the... uh, Star Wars title out of EA Vancouver and what's going on with that license with EA at the moment because things seem to be going from 
oh, semi good to bad to worse. It's just uh, <laughs> it's been a long downhill trajectory for the uh, Star Wars franchise over at EA, in my opinion, anyway. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, more sad news coming out on um, at yet another cancellation of what was supposed to be this open world title based on a bounty hunter uh, that is now potentially going to be reused by assets in some sort of smaller version of a game that's going to be coming out a lot sooner. Um, and the only good thing that came out about this release that I saw was a reminder that we were still getting a game from um, Respawn called Star Wars Jedi Fallen, which I had completely forgotten about. So that was kind oh, yeah. of uh, the silver lining of this cloud to be reminded that we're going to get something good out of this, hopefully. Yeah, to uh, to to even go back further, you know, when, when EA got the Star Wars license, they said there was going to be multiple games of all kinds of shapes and sizes, and they had multiple teams working on them. We had Amy Hennig working on this cool bounty hunter type game that was going to be really rad, and we saw kind of a teasery thing for that, and we had Respawn doing a game, and there was another game, and all these Star Wars games, and we had Battlefront, and oh man, it was just going to be raining Star Wars because why would EA spend all the kind of money it takes to get a Star Wars license and not give us myriad Star Wars games? And then, as you've indicated, Raj, they've started uh, dropping like flies. Uh, We reported, uh, I don't know, two years ago now, the uh, Amy Hennig uh, departure and that game being shuttered. But that game kind of uh, was going to have new life in this visceral Star Wars project. Uh, there were parts of that cool bounty hunter game that were b- going to be used in what Visceral was working on, which was a big AAA ambitious open world role-playing game set in the Star Wars universe where you were going and dealing with different factions from Star Wars and building your character and all that stuff. Well, as you guys have mentioned, that game no longer happening. And uh, EA came out with a statement saying, quote, there's been speculation about one of our Star Wars projects as a natural part of the creative process. The great work by our our team in Vancouver continues and will evolve into future Star Wars content and games. We're fully committed to making more Star Wars games. We're very excited about Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order from Respawn, and we'll share more about our new projects when the time is right. There's been some reporting about this project that, as you mentioned, Raj, uh, it is, there's still going to be this kind of other Star Wars game that they, they just wanted it to come out sooner. So this big AAA project that Visceral was working on uh, evidently it was too much. It was codenamed Orca, and it was still super early in development, and they were thinking it was going to be far too far in the future for a, a release date. It was multiple years out, uh, and they wanted something to be out by 2020, so this has been funneled into a smaller project that can be completed more quickly. Uh, Raj, it sounds like you're disappointed by this news. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been disappointed since we first saw that teaser gameplay of uh, Amy Hennig's stuff. Was, I can't remember the original name for it. It was like level 1330 or something like that. The underground sort of Uncharted-esque looking title. Uh, and then when that got shuttled off and then it, we got a, a reworking and then we've had, uh, oh, we're going to do this over here and then it's changed to this over here. And it, it just it just all seems so sad. And, you know, Battlefront is what it is. And, and you know, if you're into sort of these mass on uh, online multiplayer shooters, then uh, with a Star Wars sort of skin over, that's great. But there's, there's really been nothing with 
depth and you know we had Knights of the Old Republic and that didn't really go anywhere as well and um they're, they're, I'm, I want something with story I want something that expands the Star Wars universe beyond me just slapping a theme on top of another game that we already have mm-hmm. and you know with cool blaster sounds and stuff like that that's fine and and it sort of gets you over the line a little but nothing's fleshing things out for me and really capturing me but that's also speaks to my style of preferred games and 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 you know games that have more of a storyline to them as well yeah. may not suit everyone but uh yeah it's it's really sad i saw this funny uh, graphic on reddit the other day i'm not sure if it was in the dlc subreddit or not but it, it was uh, a collage of all the star wars titles released under lucasfilm in the space of sort of four or five years and then EA's comparison and it was just like here's 35 games that were brought out over three years and here's EA's this is like Battlefront Battlefront 2 <laughs> it's like, yeah. It was, uh, yeah it's a little sad but in in this world of AAA titles like they have to make money They're, like that's the end that's the end of the story the bottom line is that EA's gonna nick something before it actually comes out if they don't think it's gonna a make the money or b improve the bottom line uh, and a lot of games are cancelled well in, in this exact same fashion by publishers across the world. It's probably just not as big a deal because they're not a big, as big a licence. So I, I guess it's kind of sort of part and parcel of the industry as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you on the kinds of games that I enjoy. Listeners to the show will know that. But uh, I do think, as you mentioned, that we have Jedi Fallen Order, which I think is going to be that. It's going to be this big... Uh, story rich adding to the lore of star wars kind of experience and respawn is certainly a studio that has delivered fantastic content in the past we're big fans of titanfall and titanfall 2 here uh, especially titanfall 2 uh so i remain hopeful that we'll, we'll get that kind of experience but um yeah it's interesting it's interesting you know one hopes that that uh, i'm pleased i should say that ea isn't just pumping out crap uh but it sounds like they're favoring things that uh, are maybe perhaps a little less ambitious than than i would hope for christian what's your take on all this i'm very curious what ea paid for the license or what that deal was because excuse me you know that deal is several years old now at this point and star wars has always been big but it's you know ebbed and flowed in terms of its cinematic popularity but when ea signed on it was at a high point again right this wasn't after a disappointing uh episode one phantom menace or something like that right it wasn't like oh this franchise is uh, it's not what i remembered it to be this was height of of kind of star wars coming back and being great again and you have to think that they're they paid a bunch of money for it and maybe that's already written off so they're not concerned about i, I don't follow ea's financials that closely uh, maybe they already took that as a loss some year, you know, the amount they had to pay to get Star Wars. And so now anything they do, it needs to actually make its money and everything else would be a loss for that year. I'm not sure. Um, but it does seem odd that they're not making games that have the name on it. Because you think, I think there are so many wonderful Star Wars games that could be made that feel great and wear that IP proudly. And yeah, I'd love to see... Um, the star wars god of war right like that style of game with star wars characters like a a dark sith walking around uh throwing his lightsaber his or her lightsaber the way kratos was throwing that axe i I would love that i'd love horizon zero dawn star wars (laughs) i'd love tomb raider or tomb raider or uncharted or whatever you know star wars but i also would have loved 
um, a fleshed out version of the flight, the battles from Battlefront, the space, like a space campaign. I think there's fun stuff to do with side scrolling Star Wars games, a la Super Star Wars and, and games along those lines. I think you could have a really cool platformer that's Star Wars based. I think you could have a really cool, um, Jedi's locked in a prison and trying to escape portal type game you know like there's so many types of games a mirror's edge game with a jedi that don't need to be these huge open world style games i mean i would take a a really well-made pod racing game again like that when i played on n64 i really loved it and having just gone to an arcade not too too long ago and playing some various versions of star wars arcade games the atari one from like 1977 is great the sega uh, Star Wars trilogy is great. Then there was one where it was like um, kind of a fighter, a flight fighter stick thing. And maybe it was a Sega also. I'm not sure. But also fun. You put me in an X-Wing. You queue up John Williams. You have me fly towards the Death Star. It's going to be pretty fun. <laughs> and I feel like maybe they're trying to put it all behind this huge game of the year award winning game. And I'm not saying we need. Um, oh, God. What was the Star Wars kart racer? Um, or their 3D fighter. I'm not saying we need all of those games again. Or, oh no, the worst one was um, Star Wars Twisted Metal. What was that game called? It was on Xbox, is how I played it. It was awful. Um, yeah. Battle. I mean, we certainly don't want that, but I feel, it sounds like they are doing what you're saying, that, that well, they aren't. They, they haven't. They, they haven't done anything. Exam. Well, yeah, but I mean, they what, what they've canceled are the games that you're talking about, the... the uh, the kind of uh, big budget, all our eggs in one basket, win awards type of games. Those are the games that they're like, well, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to make stuff that has a quicker turnaround. So but maybe how many years into this plan did they, I'm saying like when this de- deal was signed, I was surprised EA didn't kind of run the board with it. And maybe the deal specifies yeah. what types of games they can or cannot make. I had on Sega CD, I had a battle chess Star Wars game. It was awesome. I love that game. Um, I was just, I'm very surprised that that IP wasn't used constantly by EA. Instead, they tried to make these really big games. And so far we've seen nothing. We've seen two poorly reviewed um, and legislation spawning battlefront games. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't disagree with you completely, but to play devil's advocate a bit, I would, I would say that they may be damned if they do, damned if they don't type of situation where, you know, if they had just flooded the market with a bunch of Star Wars games and they had been of varying quality levels, we would probably be complaining that EA is just milking this license and making, you know, a bunch of shovelware. And maybe less is more. Maybe they've made some wise... We don't know why these games got shuttered i mean there's speculation that it that it's for a quicker turnaround more money and maybe that's true maybe they need to recoup on this investment a little sooner and a little more um certainly but uh i don't know i I think there's definitely a universe an alternate universe where they did what you said and they put out the side scroller and the pod racer and the thing and the thing and the thing and then we're, we're having the conversation about god ea is just this ip factory and they're just kind of uh watering down the star wars you know, license and stop already with all these games. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Lucasfilm kind of did that to an extent back in the day. Like they did pump out games and they were all different genres and stuff like that. I remember a game I had back on the, I want to say like Atari ST or something called Night Shift. And you were were running a factory and keeping bits and pieces sort of 
together to make uh, dolls that were going through it. And part of the dolls, they were all Star Wars figurines. So it, like, it had absolutely nothing to do with Star Wars other than it was just this license thing that LucasArts put out in this title uh, because they own the IP. And yeah. it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a great game. But certainly it wasn't a terrible game either, I guess, But for back of that period. But I, I can't think of a good Star Wars game that I've played since maybe The Force Unleashed on 360, but that was LucasArts. And, and they ran the story and ran everything and, you know, it was a good sort of interactive adventure style game that in, in expanded the universe for me but uh mm-hmm. since then I've, I've just really struggled with the with the ip from a gaming perspective you, you know take jar jar binks and everything else out of it as well but um yeah, it's, it's it's not been a real home run like i think everyone is hoping and that's because it is such a big ip that everyone has such strong opinions about as well yeah. like yeah. it's really difficult for anyone to take this and, and really run and make something great that everyone is going to love but I think to to your point, Jeff, and Raj, to the point about like being cautious with the IP, you know, I rattled off a bunch of mediocre Star Wars games that came out when Lucas was LucasArts was making a bunch of games. But at no point does that make us think that Star Wars games didn't used to be great. I loved Rogue Squadron. I loved Shadow of the Empire. I loved Dark Forces and Dark Forces 2, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. Like, there were so many great games that no one's like, oh, yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, it was just kart racing clones. What crap? Mm. Like, that's not what you remember. And even with the expanded media of Star Wars now, you know, (laughs) is everybody reading... I don't, I don't even know what it is. Is the Han Solo comic good? Maybe it is. I'm not reading it, but like there's so much out there, right? And please, I, I honestly do not know if the Han Solo comic is good or bad. <laughs> My point is just there's so much stuff out there that if Darth Vader's comic is incredible, but you thought episode eight was a disappointment, it doesn't tarnish the brand. It's still, it, it's so big at this point that as long as some of the stuff coming out is of quality, no one's going to remember the kart racer or the game, the fighting game that I didn't think was particularly great. Uh, you, you remember the big hits and you like, Oh, I want those games again, KOTOR and all of that stuff. And not, you don't worry that someone was just selling tons of the IP. Well, to that point, I, th- I think that's where we'll find ourselves at the end of the year when the respawn game comes out. And I, I really do. I mean, I'm, I'm basing this on just purely my confidence in the studio, but I really do think that game is going to make a big splash. And it, it's going to be the kind of thing where like, oh, yeah, Star Wars games are awesome. The Star Wars game is amazing. And it's going to be like Spider-Man. Where it's like, do you ever remember there being bad Spider-Man games? No, this Spider-Man game is amazing. You know? I hope yeah. so. I think Battle of Terracasha. Terracashi? Someone, someone's yelling at that name of that fighting game. And, I don't, and they're probably yelling that they love it. I just remember being really bad at it and then <laughs> not liking it. <laughs> well... What is your story of the week? Speaking of fighting games, uh, Mortal Kombat 11, it got its day in the sun. I was a little jumping to the end, a little little disappointed we didn't hear or see any Switch footage stuff because that gets me very excited because I played, I guess it was 9 on Vita. I thought it was great. I liked that. And I I played Injustice 1 on Vita as well. But, 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 Mortal Kombat 11, they had the first trailer at the Game Awards that was over-the-top and grotesque and so beautiful-looking and everybody thinking there's no way a game can look like that. And then they showed actual gameplay here this past week, and my golly, it looks like that. It is so incredibly gory. They showed gameplay, a bunch of fatalities. Uh, Ed Boon booned it up the way he can, only he can. 
Uh, booned so hard. He was booning. He was all over the place. He booned. He was he was booning. He's the best. Um, I thought it was Nobody really like Ed Boone. What? I said nobody boons like Ed Boone. He's the uh, the booniest boon that ever did boon. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a really good reveal in terms of, like they gave actual information and details. They showed some characters. They showed some of that customization that we kind of all speculated would be coming to the game, um, kind of borrowing from Injustice 2. They showed uh, actual gameplay. They showed a bunch of fatalities. Um, I thought it was pretty great. I know you were there, Jeff. So I'm curious how it felt uh, there in the room and kind of how your time with the game. I was there. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about playing the game uh, in our, uh, our playlist segment, but um, I think probably as has has become the case <laughs> covering video games these days, watching it from home on the on the stream is probably a superior experience. <laughs> other than the fact that I actually got to play it, but as far as the presentation itself goes, these things have become streaming events that just you're there as the live audience you know? yeah they're looking down the barrel of the camera no one's talking to you <laughs> yeah this is not a presentation to press there's plenty of press there uh and we are there you know to get hands-on with the game which i was pleased to do but uh we are largely ignored and also you're just standing room you're just kind of in a throng looking past people's heads to try to get a catch a glimpse of the screen you know it's uh it's not great but it's a cool event they had a you know it was a big thing i think the game uh I think that NetherRealm has just dialed in how to make these games. Injustice and Mortal Kombat have become, for my money, the top tier fighting franchises of them all. And uh, it's because they are they figure out how to do story really well. They they the presentation is second to none. I mean, yeah, they kidnapped people and paint them and shrink them down and shove them into your console. <laughs> it's it's insane. I, I, I mentioned this if you know if I put this. I think I'm going to put the uh, this interview at the end of the show um, because now I now you're just teasing people. even more. Yeah. You're just making it worse. The, the reason I was the reason I'm vacillating on it is because the the event was nuts. They they had all these stations for people. They had food stations. They had a, a pop up store where you could buy all this MK merch. Kano's they heart had, sliders, <laughs> right? Scorpion they chain had, wallets. <laughs> They had, uh, you know, they had all kinds of crazy stuff. One of the crazy things that they had was this room where you go in and you just break stuff. They give you a baseball bat and they put you in protective clothing, eye protection and like a smock. And you just smash things. And they have all kinds of different props to smash glass bottles and uh, a wooden crate. I walked by at one point and this guy, this kid was just hammering away on this wood crate futilely, like to try to hurt it. And I was like, this kid is working through something, man. And I guess the idea was that you were doing your own fatality, but none of the fatalities are attacking inanimate objects. That's street fighter beating up a car, right? Exactly. And ultimately what it was meant was that it was extremely loud and cacophonous in the place already, (laughs) already. But then the place they set us up for interviews was directly next to the place where people are smashing things. (laughs) So there's a, throughout the entire interview, it's like, so, uh, I understand you're the art director on the game. Yes. (laughs) Oh, uh, uh, I, I thought the game looked. (laughs) So, yeah. So you, uh, you hear that. And I, uh, I assume it will be, uh, barely listenable, but he does talk about some really cool stuff. So I was like, is this even usable as audio? 
but that's what they wanted. Everybody's, everybody's uh, interviews were in the same spot and they all were just like right there. Anyway, so you have that to look forward to in the show if, if you want to listen to it. But where was I going with that? Uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> the event That's itself, uh, being yeah. there. Um... Uh, it was, I mean, oh, I, the, they have dialed in the presentation. We were talking about how, um, I think I say this in the interview, which was what got me sidetracked, is um, it's cool, I think, that Mortal Kombat, to differentiate itself way back when, when it first debuted and Street Fighter was was the, ruling the roost, to differentiate itself, it wasn't a little drawn sprites, cartoonish looking sprites. It was photos of human beings in costumes that they then put into the video game. And it was like, you'd never seen anything like that. I remember it very well seeing that video game. Like, Oh, these like, looks like people looks like people fighting each other. And now all these years later, we've come full circle and the pure CG graphics in the game, the, the visualization that isn't actually photographing people in costumes looks like people who've been photographed in costumes. I just think that's pretty cool. You know, um, Mortal Kombat 11, for me, is the perfect Twitch game. I I like the look of it, and I'm interested in it, but it's, it's sort of... It's sort of almost ruined. It's like uh, it's like you saying to stay pure with uh, uh, movie trailers, Jeff. When I watch the trailer and I see the fatalities, I'm like, that's what I want this game for. That's what I'm looking for in this game. I'm never going to be good at it. I'm never going to be good at any fighting game. So let's watch someone else do it, or just give me a YouTube cut of all of what I want to see. That that's it. It's just all the all the the glorious bits that that come out of Mortal Kombat, and I'm done. I don't need to spend you know sixty bucks on the game. I it, it, it's kind of sad, but that's what the franchise represents to me. And I think it's, uh, I, I will, I'll, I'll play it, but I'll probably play it for five minutes and then put it down hmm. and be done with it type of thing. I think that's yeah. a fair position to take, but I would say there isn't another fighting game that gives you as much to do as somebody who isn't particularly good at fighting games as Mortal Kombat. It, there, the story progression, the, uh, the fun challenges, and the fact that the game actually works pretty well as a kind of blind button masher. And the, the, one of the new uh, features that they introduce in Mortal Kombat 11 is something I was talking to Christian about this uh, earlier in the week. I think this should have been in fighting games a decade ago. It, it's a no brainer that nobody has thought to do yet. And it seems like it should have happened a million years ago, which is, you can, in, in every fighting game, you can go in the menu and find a list of moves. And it'll say, you know, you, in order to do the, the cool smacky face move, you do, you know, a down, then down right, then down left, and uh, the triangle button or whatever. And you see these big long lists and you go, oh, okay, okay, cool. I'm going to do the big, cool, slappy, slappy move. I'm going to try to do that. i got to remember it. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, back out of the menu. Ah, man, I can't do it. What am I doing wrong? Okay, back in the menu, I'm going to look at slappy move. There it is. Okay, down, down, right, triangle. Okay, okay, I got it. it. That's been my experience playing uh, fighting games for many, many years. Mortal Kombat 11 says you can select a bunch of those moves from the move list, and it will display them on the HUD in the game in any mode. So if you're in competitive mode, if you're in any mode you want, uh, the story mode, the... A tower ascension 
you can put a list of moves on the screen to reference at any time, which is like, it's so great. It's a, it's a bit like training wheels for, for fighting games. And I love it because it's just ridiculous that anybody would have to jump back and forth from the menus and try to remember how to do something. It's just right there on the screen. So you can do the moves and do them, you know, and, and learn them. Um, it's stuff like that that I think NetherRealm gets and that the game is still fun for people that perhaps, like like all of us, I think, uh, none of us are, are top-tier fighting game players, but we can still, I, I think I can still have fun playing uh, NetherRealm games even more than other fighting games. I think what NetherRealm has perfected is the single-player fighting game in terms yeah. of having a rich, awesome story uh, that is fun and bombastic and silly, but also feels meaty and has weight. And they've done a good job of bouncing you around through a lot of, if not all of the important characters in it. And then going into their challenge towers or the evolution of kind of that loot gear grind that they have where you don't need to be great at a fighting game anymore to get in and, and have fun and play it because there's so much for you to do that is teaching you along the way but it's not just going getting your butt kicked in online multiplayer. And it looks like Mortal Kombat 11 continues that trend. I'm super curious about the, um, what is it called? Not Ultra Kill, but um, Jeff, do you remember? It was like you build up the, the kill meter mid-game, mid mid-match. Yeah, and then you do, a, I can't remember what they call it, but yeah, it's a... Like a, it's like a comeback mechanic. Yeah, I th- I'm curious to see how that plays out. I thought it was interesting because I think it had kill in the name, but the person, it didn't kill them. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, mid-match fatality, game over. It, it didn't, but it was a big swing. And then I'm curious how, and they, and they spent time talking about this in the reveal too, w- where offensive and defensive, air quote, moves are, um, those m- meters are separated, whereas before they had been one. So I'm curious to see kind of how the meta of the game changes going forward. I won't get that deep into it, but um, I'm, I'm curious to see how that changes the style of play. It looked awesome to me. And, and I feel like I, I do need to bring this up. I'm disappointed uh, in Ronda Rousey being a part of the game. Uh, I don't think Mortal Kombat needs her. Um, I don't think she brings anything to the game. And I, I we've all said and done things in our past that I'm sure we regret. But I feel like she has done several things that I don't think are great. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, and I don't think she's like an incredible actor that's like, oh, you know, she's going to elevate this, the voice acting of this game in a major way. I'm not sure what she brings to the franchise. And I think she's, uh, done a number of bad, bad, bad things, um, and said bad, bad things. Um, so I find that disappointing. That is the only thing right now that shifted this game from day one to me to, I don't know, man. Like it feels yeah. gross. Well, I will say this. I, you know, her in particular, notwithstanding, I am down for NetherRealm going full bore on this idea and just casting the entire roster of Mortal Kombat heroes from the WWE superstars. I, I, I would love to see. No. Since they are sort of photorealistic anyway, I would love to see it just like this cool, like you know, uh, the Miz as. Johnny, uh, maybe it's DLC, you know, but picture a game that you love doing that. That's not. That's not. That, I, that, that, that I, belittles I the franchise. That. It's Mortal Kombat. It. I think Mortal Kombat could work because it, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's already cartoony and goofy, and you know over the top. And I think it'd be fun if you're casting 
human beings anyway that it looked like human beings in makeup and costumes it would be fun i think to do it with all wwe superstars i'd be down for that i think maybe as like bonus i don't i feel like that yeah i don't know i like a skin yeah like a skin (laughs) or like an alternate costume for a character i feel like it gets distracting and then you're you're just seeing that character that person and not the um the character that you're playing as because when graphics looking as as good as they look now um and that, certainly that's worked or that's been the case in other games where you know you have these famous actors kevin spacey or um uh the david cage um two games ago yeah yeah um ellen page, yeah, ellen page where they cast yeah. very famous people in these roles and you're definitely looking at these actors playing these roles but uh yeah, I, I would prefer them to keep making the characters the characters and then specifically not having <laughs> Ronda Rousey in it. Right. I, I'd be more impressed if they had the mocap done by celebrities or, you know, high-profile pro, high pro, high sort of uh, people in this sort of martial arts, wrestling slash whatever you want to call it, fields, UFC. Well, and, they do. I mean, they, they, they well, have... But, uh, but they were unlockable level. as... Yeah, like you could, you know, add a, as a bonus feature of content, it's like, oh, you know, play as them and, you know, the under the hood type of thing. Because, you know, at its at its core, Mortal Kombat's got these characters and established people that, you know, you know, Luke Kang and uh, Raiden and uh, Scorpio, you know, the, the those, I don't want them diminished in any way, shape or form. Like the, that's who they are to me and they always will be, whether they were played by real people in the first place or, or not. You know, someone who worked in accounting that just put on a pair of sunglasses and became, you know, Liu Kang or whatever they did in the original. But, um, yeah, the the other thing that I wouldn't want them to do is go, you know, mocap done by Andy Serkis. And oh, everyone was done <laughs> yeah. by Andy Serkis. Like, you know, make a big deal of it. But uh, if, you, if you're going to have celebrity endorsement and stuff, I don't really need have them sort of as the underpinnings of these, uh, the motion of these characters, not, not necessarily voice acting and stuff like that. Well, it's pretty amazing that we're actually at the point now where digital characters can be played by human beings and we can recognize. I mean, it's just it's just amazing to me that we're there. I mean, we've been there for a few years now, but it's, it's still extraordinary. And that game in, in particular looks extraordinary. I mean, I it looks like FMV to me. It, it looks like someone set up a camera and people got in costumes and they made made ridiculous cutscenes. It's uh, it's pretty great. And is it console like only? Full. Are they doing a, are they doing a PC version like the original? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Wow. Well. Yeah. I think it's uh, Xbox, uh, PS4, and PC right now. Right? And Switch at some point, please come out Switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my story of the week is gotta be the Uncharted movie, you guys. Um. <laughs> It's not every day that one of your closest friends uh, gets to direct <laughs> the Uncharted movie. And that's what happened to me this week. Uh, it was officially announced that friend of the show and, and one of my good buddies, Dan Trachtenberg, uh, who directed 10 Cloverfield Lane and, and episodes of Black Mirror and a lot of other cool stuff, uh, has been announced as the new director of Uncharted, the Naughty Dog video game series that is going to be a major feature film from Sony Pictures. Under and, pressure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If anyone yeah. can I mean, pull it off cool. though, but man, oof, oof. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, a big game, man. It's, it's a big pressure. game. It, 
Yeah, he's putting he's putting his cards on the table, man. I mean, the the best part about this is that somebody found an old episode of the Totally Rad Show that Dan and I and Alex Albrecht used to do together, and uh, from whatever year one of the Uncharted's came out, and we were reviewing the game, and Dan saying, "I wish I could make this movie." That's awesome. And it's mm-hmm. it was I think twelve years ago that he said that, which is nuts. That's how you become an overnight um, success: is you work hard and be great at something for twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I, I'm not going to really comment too much more than to say I'm thrilled and excited. And, uh, you know, he's told me about some of his ambition for the movie and if he can pull off what he envisions, it is going to be incredible. And it will be, if not the first great video game movie, I am confident it will be among the first great video game movies. Uh, and uh, I, have, I have supreme confidence in him. I mean, the guy knows the game, loves the game. Um, he's working with Naughty Dog and uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be something. If he, if he can make the game, the movie he wants to make, it's going to be something. I mean, just look at his bona fides, right? He's been on this show, totally rad show for years, 10 Cloverfield no. Lane, um, his episode of Black Mirror, everything at Portal No Escape, like, if, if when you're putting when I was a kid and we were casting the X Men movie right and it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Patrick Stewart, uh, because it was a long time ago, Mel Gibson, uh, and you're and you're casting your movie. <laughs> it's like when you're sitting down, being a kid casting directors and 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 things. It's like he's the guy. This is the one. This is yeah. the person you go to and you look at everything they've done and said, and it's incredible. I cannot wait. To get the call to be Nathan Drake, I am. So <laughs> you ready <laughs> to be there? Yeah, but I read that they were uh, looking at doing the story. I don't know how much you can comment or not, Jeff, but I, I read that they were looking at doing sort of an earlier version of Nathan Drake, like before his story of how he met Sully and and that sort sort of baseline. Like I, don't I can know play eighteen, Raj. Right I don't know that. what you're saying. I don't know what the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were playing Sully. Okay, I'll, sure. Yes, signed, signed, and delivered. <laughs> uh, it is Tom Holland, the the actor who plays Spider Man currently in the Marvel mm-hmm. Marvel franchise, who's playing uh, Nathan Drake. So that can lead you down the path of knowing kind of what time frame and what age range uh, Drake will be in in this movie. So um, yeah, I think that I think that should answer your question. But, Have you signed up as stunt double yet, Jeff? Or what's the uh, I I can't stunt double Tom Holland. He's, uh, he, he's much younger than I. Uh, I would he'd be like, can somebody call an ambulance for the stunt double, please? <laughs> um, but uh, no, I'm I'm uh, I will be the first one in line to buy a ticket. I'll tell you that. So I'm I'm excited for this movie, and I think Dan is could not be more perfect. And I think this franchise is, you know, it's been so cinematic. People say like, why do you even need to make a movie? It's already sort of a movie, but I think this is going to prove that video game movies can be great fodder for great films. And that this franchise in particular had more stories to tell. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I think it already has a release date in 2020. So get ready, people get excited. And Jeff won't watch the trailer still though. I still won't watch the trailer. No, I. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't want to get spoiled, you guys. Yeah, you going unsullied? Unsullied, uh, uh, and undrake. Um, 
<laughs> we were talking about fighting games. I also want to mention real quick that um, there's a new fighting game that was announced, a Power Rangers fighting game. You guys, Power Rangers fighting game. If it worked for Dragon Ball Z, why not Power Rangers? Am I right? It looks good. Uh, did it work? It, it, it's did it crazy. Work for Dragon Ball Z, though? Yeah. Did, yeah. did that People game work? It's real good. Yeah. Really? It's real good. Oh. Yeah. I, it did not do, I did not take off down here. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a misgeneration thing. But Is it because uh, I, uh, there it's called Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> it's not actually we say dragon ball z which is oh. really strange I don't, I don't know they did well in their marketing for that one but it just did not get any coverage down well i mean it got coverage but it just wasn't the big blockbuster that uh, it was made out to be in terms of coverage so uh, i saw very little noise about it when it was released uh, so i'm su- surprised that power rangers is the thing like it, obviously power rangers been around for, for decades now like i I remember um, seeing it when I was a kid, so that's it's going back a fair way. But I, I I'm not over the moon by this. I, I'm interested to see what they do with it, and it was nice to see the lineup goes right back to the original sort of casting yeah. of the uh, Red Ranger and so forth. Um, I reckon that's a really smart move. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of a little reserved on this one. It's kind of funny to have a franchise like this when you're like you can play as the red power ranger or the green <laughs> power rangers like they just color swapped these guys i know there's more to it than that I'm, i don't mean to belittle but i just thought it was kind of funny um i've never been a power rangers fan i was i was i missed the boat on power rangers i remember i went to i was an exchange student in japan and i'm not going to say what year it was but it was a long time ago and uh when I was there, we went to Tokyo Disneyland. I was young, very young. And uh, I saw the Power Rangers. They weren't called the Power Rangers there. They were called something else. And my friend and I, who were both uh, exchange students over there, thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. And they were running around in their costumes, and we thought it was so stupid. And then we get back to America, and like three months later, the Power Rangers debuted in America. We're like, that's the thing we saw in Japan! And then we're like, that is the- we thought that was so dumb! And then it became this huge thing. So anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Christian, are you excited for Power Rangers? It, it's it's going to be uh, $19.99, this game. It looks good. I mean, I watched the trailer. It looks nice. I think I would have preferred to have the Power Rangers be DLC characters in Mortal Kombat 11, the way the Ninja Turtles yeah. were in Injustice 2. Um, or Totes. I would have loved the Green Ranger in Smash or something like that. Like, I like the characters. Yeah. I'm not sure if I want an entire game devoted to them. But then again... Um, I like a bunch of the SNK fighting games and I didn't have any affinity for those characters. So if it has good, good enough fighting mechanics and a, and a fun, silly story to pull me through and kind of teach me what it's bringing to the genre, I, I could be on board. But I mean, Mortal Kombat 11 is much higher up on my list than the Power Rangers fighting game is right now. Yeah, I think they would be cool DLC characters, but I, I'm just not into this, in this, I, I like the fact that it's an inexpensive game. It looks like they're really kind of uh, going all in on on this IP, and people love it, and it looks very high quality. So I'm, I think it's cool. Anyway, that's going to be released uh, April. in April. Yeah, so it's soon. PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch with a PC release scheduled for later in the year. 20 bucks, Pretty cool. All right, um, let's get into the games that we have been playing. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor. Uh, our sponsor is Third Love. I hope you guys have heard me talk about Third Love before. It's really pretty cool. I love the fact that they sponsor the show. This is a, uh, a product for women. It's specifically bras. And bras, 
that are really high quality, really nice, and that are guaranteed to have the perfect fit. Now, before we had Third Love as a sponsor, I didn't really know anything about this, but it turns out that finding a well-fitting, a a suitably fitting bra is a challenge and is annoying for a lot of women. That is what Third Love was trying to solve. What this product allows is for you to find the right fit in a very quick, simple quiz that you just answer a few questions and they can determine your, your perfect fit. And the reason they can do that is because they have added half sizes like you would find for shoes uh, because they found that 50% of women fall in between standard cup sizes. So they went, that's silly. Why would you make them go to one of the other sizes? That's not correct. They invented half cup sizing, which has been a godsend to a lot of women who try third love and go, oh my gosh, it actually fits and feels good. Yeah, they're tagless labels actually that so they don't have any uh, itching. There's straps that don't slip. There's these uh, ultra smooth fabrics that are nice. My wife has one. Uh, Christian, I know your wife has a bunch, right? She's gotten a, a few at this. She point. keeps doubling down. Yeah, it's it's pretty much the yeah. entire the entire bra collection is uh, has become third love. Our our wives love them. Uh, and one of the coolest things about this is that I got to tell my wife about this. Like she didn't know about this company. I got to tell her about it and then got her a bra and she loves it. And it's like, I got to be the cool guy. So if you are a woman listening to this, you should try them. If you're a guy listening to this and you have a woman in your life that would appreciate this, you can be the hero and introduce them. And we're going to make that deal even better for you because uh, third love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering listeners of DLC 15% off your first order if you go to thirdlove.com slash DLC now, you can find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That, that's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 15% off today. T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E dot com slash DLC. Uh, I understand that you have gotten to play a game I am very much looking forward to coming out in April, The Division 2. I have indeed. I was very lucky to be invited across to a place called Malmo in Sweden uh, to where Massive Entertainment have the headquarters, the uh, main devs behind The Division and Division 2. Uh, Nubisoft studio there, and uh, we were given hands-on with the Division 2's Dark Zone areas. Mm. I have uh, and the, there are three this time around. Yeah, that's right. That's the big news. Uh, the main reason they, they got a bunch of us over there to check it out was to specifically unveil that there was not just one centralized Dark Zone like we had in the original on, on Manhattan, which sort of took out the, the center column of the island. Uh, no, in the new... Washington DC set which uh, happens about six or seven months after the initial outbreak of the virus that sort of start kicks off the original division um, they have three dark zone areas uh, east west and south uh, and each of those has their own sort of uh, elements and architecture and style um, I'm not overly familiar with the uh, layout and positions of everything in Washington but um one is amongst the south, the wharfs. Uh, the other is the Georgetown district. 
um, and the other is the East. I'm not sure which that one was, um, but they have very specific sort of looks and feels and um, uh, different styles of gameplay that you'll approach each of those zones with. Let me stop you right there and just say, uh, what was your experience with the first division? Did you did you play that game? Did you like the first division? I was super, super high on the original. I, I saw that at maybe three or four E3s, like the whole way through back from when they had the tablet mode that they never ultimately kept. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, that, you know, that back when companion gaming, tablet gaming was all the rage. Oh, yeah. There was uh, one E3 where, like, every game had to have a companion app and you could in in you know insert stuff into the main game from the companion app. Yeah, yeah of course right. the Division had that because the Division was at 20 E3s. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I won a pair of gloves at one of the E3 sort of showings that I use around the house all the time. Best, <laughs> best handyman gloves I've ever owned. It's really, really good. I told the uh, the head of Massive that, and he's like, I use them for the same thing. They're the best things ever. <laughs> the world's first usable swag, evidently. I, uh, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, I have I, this awesome uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey uh greek helmet sitting here and uh i haven't figured out a way to use it for chores once you just have to buy a cat that's that's the solution for those things (laughs) i tried to get my kid to wear it and he was like no daddy i spread kids lunches every day with kratos's axe i don't know what you guys are doing in the peanut butter boy and it like i'm a girl and i'm like boy and i just you know uh yeah i to go back to the question i i really enjoyed the original division but that said i'd never finished it I was so high on it and I loved it, but it, I just, it didn't capture me. And that, was, that sort of con- contradicts uh, Massive's uh, look at the game because it was the most completed title of any Ubisoft game in history, was the original wow. division. So wow. they, they were huge. It, it was the biggest selling. It was the most completed. Um, a lot of that uh, end game more stuff. Cars, was, more car doors closed than any other. More, more car doors closed, more uh, tires shot out on any police cars in any game of history. Uh, no, it was um, they they had a really huge reception, but that growth carried through in their end game with the improvements they continued to make and the relationship they continued to build with their audience over the the coming years. It didn't start quite as well, but it really lifted and maintained for them, which is different to say, for instance, your Destiny twos. Um, so they've taken everything that they've learned out of that and, and squished it all into the new one, which is coming out, I think, March 15th. I'm uh, so excited. Uh, and it, it is so good. It is amazing. Like, I was not into the Dark Zone at all, so this was really uh, not a first hands-on with that experience, but it just felt really, really good. The shooting, the uh, game mechanics... The environment that it's now set in is no longer this dark, bland wasteland. Like there's color, there's vegetation, there's animals, there's very distinct differences between each of the dark zone areas and the way they look and the way they feel and the noises around them. They've done an incredible job. I I could not be higher again for getting back into the division in in March. It looks truly solid the meta at all in terms of the dark zone because i feel like when and i did not stick with it the the dark zones particularly mm. i kind of jumped into it when it came out uh got 
lost all the stuff I wanted to get <laughs> over and over and over again. It kind of bounced off. And I had read that kind of they tweak that over the course of the division ones. But I'm curious if they talked about or if you played anything that kind of shows how, you know, a casual person could maybe play some Dark Zone versus yeah. the hardcore versus a, a reason to go in and play at all and, and kind of that meta to it. Yeah, so the the rogue system, which is how the sort of Dark Zone operates, and it's basically you and your group of agents that go in. You can play it solo, you can play it in a group up to four, uh, and if you shoot at another agent, then you go rogue, uh, and you would be then attacked by other people. Or if you're collecting loot that you had to call for an extraction and uh, people came and attacked you during that extraction, then they would go rogue in extracting it. And that's the sort of element of the Dark Zone, this player versus player versus environment um, setup. Uh, that what they've what they've done in this initial, uh, in the new version that we're getting is um, introduce some more normalization across players that are going in there. So people who... Um, have you know found the best loot and all this other stuff kind of have the stats squished down a little but hmm. uh, to give everyone a fair opportunity more like your standard uh, pvp environment uh, which was something that a lot of people were calling out because you just go in and get completely uh, wasted within the first five minutes and never really have the opportunity to explore or enjoy the dark zone which is something they're really focused on everyone being able to do whether you're doing that as a rogue agent tracking down and killing other agents and taking their gear or if you're doing it as someone that's going in there to take on you know npcs and get good loot that will further your game it doesn't completely kill the stats of the the stuff that you find and um, bring out but it does uh does normalize them slightly um on top of that that they've got three different types of rogue systems in there now so there's um it's something that's activated manually it's no longer a friendly fire system so Hmm. you can't just accidentally shoot someone you actually have to hold down a button on the d-pad to go i'm going rogue now which means that i could then shoot other agents um so that took away all of this problems that they were having with people saying i didn't i didn't mean to i wasn't i wasn't aiming for you it wasn't my fault when really they probably were trying to have that happen so (laughs) um they were pretty clear on the fact that a lot of people complained about that system but it really it was them being dicks and sort of shooting (laughs) other people um so that's that's a new element to it as well but you can so you can go rogue by stealing loot from a supply drop um and then you sort of just become this thief um, and you can then further that by coming red rogue by shooting other agents, or if you continue to kill other agents, you go into a manhunt status, which they had in the original, and you're lit up. You're basically on the map for everyone to see and track down, and if they kill you, then the rewards and bounties are much bigger for the people who have tracked you down. But if you survive, um, obviously the rewards are much greater for you, and you can diffuse your rogue status by triangulating signals and entering this thing they call the thieves den which sort of diffuses and and sort of carries you off of the rogue status um and that's a interesting sort of mini game within the the world as well so there's a few different ways and you don't have to engage and get caught up in all the pvp sort of uh elements you can explore and and have um different experiences and each of the dark zones are sort of are revealed along with the campaign just like in the original does at different points so you sort of are given story elements as to why you're entering this one what you what you might be doing in this one versus what you might be doing in another um and so yeah you- i read that you you go in 
they send you in with a quest and during that quest in the dark zone, there's no other players there for you. It's instanced off for you. And so you don't even have to worry about any other people messing up your game and ruining yeah. your first experience in the dark but zone. Then, but then afterwards you can re-enter that zone. And it, yeah. w- one of the most amazing things about the division in the original and this one is just how seamless that transition is into that world. It's it's opening a door, it's walking over a border and you're instantly matchmaked. You're, you're put into this instance of the dark zone that is matched you with other players of similar levels, capabilities, stats, so forth, and you don't even notice. Like, it's it's actually just this wash. It's like Kratos opening a door in, in the latest God of War to that load is just seamless. It's really, really well done um, and, and quite impressive. So the fact that they do that removes the border of the fact that you're entering into a PvP sort of scenario i feel and and engages a lot more people to continue doing that um the other big thing before i forget it is that they're introducing a new concept called occupied dark zones and what this is is removing all of those changes they've made for uh the division two like uh manual uh rogue action and you know friendly fire and stuff that's all out the window there's no normalization of stats friendly fire is completely gone you are back to the hardcore of hardcore of dark zones. So at any given time, one of the three dark zones will be uh, this occupied mode um, and it will rotate around on a schedule. They haven't quite figured out what cadence that should be, but that will allow you to, if you want that pure hardcore experience uh, for the for the deep fans, um, then you can always have that sort of area to go in and engage in. So I think that was really smart of them because if they were doing all of this normalization stuff, then the the, the core uh, fan base might turn around and say, "How you know why do that?" Um, and this way, they're encouraging more people to come into the dark zone, try it out, have a better experience and a more enjoyable time, um, and but keeping their old fan base as well who want that deeper experience. So yeah, really clever stuff, and it just feels so much better. I, like, mm. uh, we didn't get any insight into what you're going to get in terms of you know uh, loot drops and beanies and stylizing, but it it already felt like the world had sort of opened up and become more um, attractive in some sense. Mm. So, uh, awesome. yeah, congratulations to them for for doing that because I think um, they've really listened to the community and what they wanted and and grown with this game over the the past few years to offer something that's going to be even better and bigger this time around. So. Yeah, really impressive. I, I, I couldn't be higher at this point. Well, I you know got a chance to play it at last E3 and instantly had a blast playing it. I, I, this is super at the top of my anticipated games list. I am counting down the days for Division 2. I'm excited to hear that you came away positive as well. Um, so I have lots to look forward to. What else is on your playlist? Uh, I, I finally bit the bullet on Xbox Game Pass. So I've been sort of... Uh trying out a bunch of titles that I really haven't had the opportunity to before. Um, but first and foremost of those is Below by Capybara Games. Uh, and this game is uh, re- really difficult to explain. I, I don't know. You, <laughs> it's <laughs> like uh, Zelda meets Dark Souls. Yeah, it, it is with zero instructions. <laughs> you, right. you're, you're, you're right. finding your way on this little island from this top-down view and um, beautifully drawn, amazing, amazing score. The opening sequence of this game with this Jim Guthrie soundtrack is just beautiful. It is one of the most uh, mesmerizing openings I've ever seen and it is yet one of the most simplest and it's 
underscored beautifully by this um, Jim Cuthrie soundtrack. So for that alone, it's worth uh, dipping into if you have Game Pass just to do that. But um, as the game progresses and you sort of you descend below uh, into this island and trying to um, survive, it turns into this, uh, you know, uh, survival-esque game with having to keep uh, fed and watered, which can be a bit monotonous, and um, staying alive, fighting some creatures. But you ultimately you will die and then you will be reborn and you start again on the shore of the island and once again descend below. And then you repeat this process over and over again. Uh, gradually exploring and, and finding out things. After about the fourth time of dying, you're kind of like, oh, this is, I'm done. This is the most boring thing in the world. But something happens and you figure something out and that just drives you to to get to the next point. And you're like, oh, of course, or oh, that fits in that. I need to go over here. And this, oh, now it all makes sense. And this is how it works. And it is absolutely beautifully done. Um, the only thing I wish is that it was on a Switch. It, it yeah. is the perfect switch game yeah, um for sure it, yeah, it's true if it was uh if it was on a switch i would be playing it non-stop i've been on a lot of flights lately so um this would have been absolutely ideal for that but um it's under xbox game pass they've, they've got that deal going and um it, it is definitely worth giving uh, a shot but it would be yeah I, I think it would reach a lot more of an audience if it was available on a switch um but yeah, but it, you have it, been playing stuff on on Switch, right? You've been playing a bunch of stuff on Switch. Yeah, uh, Diablo three. I never played Diablo three, so I, I picked that up. Um, uh, one of my coworkers was completely disgusted because he was all in on Diablo three when it originally came out and just got burnt by the whole auction house debacle. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, "Why would you ever give them money?" <laughs> I never played it, uh, so uh, and that's been really cool. I, I uh, I've been enjoying it, but it. it, it in a way, it's showing its age. Like it, it is very much that grind, next level grind, next level grind. I'm not getting hooked by the loot reward uh, system. I enjoy it. I'm, I'm way too OP. I don't know what I've done or if I'm playing it on too easy level. But you're playing as a necromancer, right? I am. I am. Yeah, yeah that's why you're I, OP. But... I just randomly chose it, though. I had no idea. <laughs> like my health bar doesn't go down. Yeah, run, run, it's... run, run. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fun. But if I wasn't playing it on Switch and on planes at the moment, I'd be bored. It, huh. It's fine that I'm picking it up and I um I'm enjoying it for the the two hours or three hours that I'm catching flights across Australia at the moment, and and that's been fun. But if I was playing it sitting down on my couch just grinding through, there, there's no appeal. Like it, it's maybe if there was more of a challenge, maybe I need to play it as a different character, Christian. But um, I, I'm just I. I thought I'd finished it. I thought I was at the end. You know, I've, uh, Diablo, spoiler alert, I killed Diablo. But, um, it, it, and now there's more and I'm like, oh, I was done. That, that would have been a nice thing for me. Well, I think it includes the expansions as, or the expansion. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's been great. And then a little uh, indie game called The Guns Between, which is made by a Melbourne-based uh company called the voxel agents and it won a bunch of awards i think it won a at jeff Keeley's game awards i think it won one um and uh that's on switch as well and it's just this um uh emma inglis who reviewed it for us on reckoner she described it as the gamification of life and friendship and and it really is that it's about two one more time to, what, was, what was it i missed the sorry. game of the gamification of life and friendship huh uh, it's two kids that lived uh, next door to each other in this beautiful sort of uh, 
cartoon graphic style uh, and uh, each level that you play through is like a dream sequence of memories between these um, two friends and uh, the whole game mechanic is uh, based on time and the only uh, control you have is pushing left or right on the thumbstick to climb uh, an island which is made out of these elements of memories. So it might be a VHS tape that's falling out of a VCR or a TV and uh, it's sort of fuzzy with static and stuff. And you're essentially cl- uh, obtaining an orb of light and climbing to the top of uh, this little island of memories. And uh, by manipulating the two characters by pushing forward and back, they go on predetermined paths as they walk around and the world sort of rotates as they walk around it. Uh, you pick up a lantern and solve these little mini parcels, uh, puzzles to get to the, the top of the island and finish that memory or dream between the two of them. It's beautifully done, really. Yeah, Christian, you really should look at our screenshot because it's hard to do it justice verbally. It, it is, yeah. <clears throat> I played this at, uh, at a PAX, uh, I think I talked about it on the show a long time ago. It, it is, it, it's extraordinary looking. It's this like pile of nostalgia as, oh, as yes, this yes, tiny yes. little Our, mini island. Yes, and it kind of spins all la... yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, Monumental Valley. Yes, yes, yes. I remember this game. Um, so, yeah, re- really beautiful stuff. It, it's a very short experience, but it's a, it's one well worth taking, I think. And um, uh, and being from the city that I'm from, it, it's it's one that I'll be an agent for any time of the week. So, um, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And it's available in Xbox Game Pass as well and on pretty much every platform these days. So it's definitely worth worth checking out that's called the garden between yeah all right christian what about you what's on your playlist so one thing that i want to talk about this week uh new well one i should say no more heroes travis strikes back or travis strikes again travis touchdown it's not here yet and i'm really bummed i haven't played it by the time we're recording this but it's on its way and i'll be talking about it next week for sure um, uh, along with whatever else i'm playing no more heroes travis is on his way Travis is slowly finding his way to me. Yeah, I think is what it's called. Um, uh, new Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, which I, I I love so much of that the name of that game because it's not new. <laughs> <laughs> is it deluxe at least? It is deluxe. They kept, but they kept the U in it. From there's no U. There's no U. I it mean, there's a, a deluxe me. price point. <laughs> but so I'm actually so yes 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 so to address all of these things yes it it uh it is new Super Mario Brothers Wii U and new Super Luigi Bros U that both came out on the Wii U and it's both of those games bundled together for sixty bucks and Nintendo has been re-releasing their Wii U games on Switch at um a full price and for tropical freeze it was more expensive on switch than when it launched initially on wii u um mario kart deluxe also another full price game splatoon 2 new maps and stuff it's like splatoon 1.5 like i don't know how you also a full price game um i can't say if it's worth it to you from a monetary standpoint if you have but played- it, it was like it's there's millions of people millions of people who have switches that didn't have wii u's yes yeah. so- I'm so one to of them, those. it's just a new game. <laughs> yes, and it is deluxe because it is Mario and Luigi. Well, those are totally separate games. Um, it's, the, it's the you didn't buy a Wii U tax. 
Sure, and and you can play it portably, tax, uh, and it yeah. runs a little better. Like I look at my Switch collection, and there's a bunch of games, but I also I think I've I've rebought my entire Wii U collection. <laughs> yeah, uh, you are the person who should be upset at that, but you still keep doing it to yourself. So, yeah, so I never uh, I never played Luigi New Luigi U, and I remember when it came out as a kind of a standalone game, or I think it maybe is also like a big dlc purchase within the first one and it was harder levels and you're playing as luigi with his floaty jump and apparently luigi's shoes are super slippery um and i remember it getting i recall it getting pretty good reviews so i was very excited to play that and i jumped into that and um i I don't like it i I, and i feel like it's my problem it's it's a me problem so it is hard and luigi controls like garbage but intentionally so but it's what it's doing is it's like subverting all of my expectations of years of platforming and if you listen to the show you know i love platformers and games like celeste or guacamelee or ori or mega man where it's kind of built in expectations of what a tight controlling rewarding platforming experience should be and then new Super Luigi Bros U Deluxe, whatever it's called, comes out, and it's harder levels in and of themselves. Uh, you know, some of them have, dare I say, bullet hell esque um, characters and, and enemies on screen throwing things at you as as it kind of progresses through the worlds, um, and really inventive level design sometimes that is kind of punishing. But then adding into that this mix of Luigi controlling. It's weird because it's it's intentional, but I would say personally it feels poor. Like it's not a an experience that makes me happy to have Luigi jump high and kind of float because I haven't learned it. And because I'm getting frustrated, I don't want to spend time learning this control mechanic of like, okay, so he's going to float, 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 float. Perfect. Now I have to remember he's going to slip, 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 slip. And now here I go. And I slip. I keep doing those sounds for like the next But That's what playing the game is, right? It's slip, 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 slip. I better jump. Flip, 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 flip. Then I land, 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 slip, 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 slip. But you know, the good news is Christian later on after this timeline, he dies. Luigi dies. So there you go. Everybody, I already had the game where he dies, though. That's the problem. Is that, that, well, that's why this is new. <laughs> yeah, this is the trailer for the next Spider-Man movie is what this is. Um, yeah. so, so as someone who's very much in the I did not have a Wii U boat, uh, but yeah. I have a Switch, is this a worth buy? So I really enjoyed it. You can probably find the episode of this podcast, I, I think. <laughs> I really enjoyed Super Mario Brothers U is fantastic. Yes, I really enjoyed that game. Um, but my problem and, with the <clears throat> sorry, my problem with the Switch is that I can't buy a physical copy. If it doesn't download and I can't just take it with me, then I'm paying, which means you're paying full price for it. So it's very difficult for me to get over the hurdle of, well, it's yeah. ninety Australian dollars for me to buy this game. So it's a lot of Australian dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Australian dollars grow on trees. I don't what? know. Why? Why? But yeah, I don't know how anything this. works down there. <laughs> it seems like a magical fairy place where everything's trying to murder you. I don't if you know. get your toilet to flush correctly, I think Australian dollars come out. I think is how it works. <laughs> I don't understand the the point you just made though about. Um, needing it to be downloaded in order to bring it with you. You can't bring the little cartridge Not, with well, it, It's more about uh, I, I, I have two games on a cartridge, and that's uh, Mario Kart and I think Zelda when I originally bought the Wii, uh, the Switch. And uh, I still haven't finished Diablo, so I want that to be on the Switch wherever I am. But 
I might not want to play Diablo on the plane next time. So if I have, you know, Mario, I, I don't carry like a big case with a bunch of cartridges in it or it's always plugged into my TV when it's home and I, d- I don't want to have to get up and walk over. Like it's laziness basically is what I'm getting at mm. and, and whether I want to pay the premium to just download it and have it on the card that's inside of the Switch uh, for the for the fact that I am lazy uh, or, you know, the the fact that the card spot is 99% of the time filled up with Mario Kart because that's what my girlfriend will play on the Switch. Great game. Uh, yeah, great, great game. And she will play Mario as well. Like I, she loves Super Mario Odyssey and uh, very much uh, we both looked at this. We even, I bought Tropical Freeze on your recommendation as well, Christian, purely because oh, so good. it was something for us to go on to together after Super Mario Odyssey. Didn't quite click, uh, unfortunately. I'm just going to say that one fell flat. So uh, you're... Um, well, I, can, I can tell you right now that, that Super Mario Brothers U is a fantastic game to play co-op. Okay. It is wonderful to play co-op. Yeah, it has the bouncing I mean, off each other's heads. It's friendly. It's chaotic. It, uh, it's great. It's, it's super, super great. It's well, really I, fun. That's what I needed. To, I needed that to push me over the edge. So congratulations. I mean, that's a lot. I don't, I don't want to force you to spend 90 No, look, you've just, my life, I've got to open the dowry now and just pull out every <laughs> Australian dollar I have buried underneath to, uh, <laughs> to afford this. So thank you. That's, that, sounds, that sounds like a lot. But I, I can wholeheartedly having not played the switch version at all can wholeheartedly tell tell you it will be a just a delightful co-op experience yeah uh for me i think it's a series of of, uh questions you ask yourself where it's do you like the new super mario brothers u games because while they've kind of evolved that formula they're largely the same um and then it's a bunch of other things like have you played celeste have you played Hollow Knight? Have you played uh, Shovel Knight? Have you played Guacamelee? Like there are games that I think do things better, but if co-op and being silly and playing with someone on a couch is high on that priority list and it bumps this up. Now, the thing that I was surprised about for me is that someone that likes challenging platforming games is how much I did not enjoy the tweaks that Luigi added to it. I just wanted to play those levels as a character that controlled the way that as an old man, I'm used to my characters controlling. And then the other thing that bumped me about this game is that, it, you know, when it came out so long ago on Wii U, um, when you die on a level, which I was doing a lot in Luigi, is you, you it's classic Mario. You die, the screen, the circle comes in, it goes to black, then the circle comes back up, and then you land on your butt on the world map, and then you start the world again. And I feel like after playing Celeste, Guacamelee, all these other games, that's not the way these games play anymore. Like adding those little amount of load times, Raj, for me was like you getting up to change a cart out of the switch. I was just getting Mm -hmm. so frustrated. Like I understand that this game uses that time to, you can put, put items in um, that you kind of collect over the time. So you start a level with an item and things like that. So that kind of forces downtime, but just start me back at the beginning of the level. Like if I fail, Start me back to the, get, get me back in there. Don't load me back to the map. I'm not going to be on the map and go, oh, that was too hard. I guess I'll go replay one of these other levels because it's not as if you can skip it. <laughs> like, well, that's not too hard. I'm going to go forward on the map three or four levels. So it was interesting for me to look at this game again so recently with rose-colored glasses on, but also seeing how far the genre of this kind of uh, difficult platformer, again, speaking more specifically to the Luigi side of things, has progressed and so i found it very frustrating uh that i couldn't just get right back into into the game as i was sitting there playing it on my switch 
Um, so it's more me being expressing my personal gripes with how I've aged as a gamer than anything else. But I was I was fascinated with how much I did not enjoy my time with uh, Luigi Deluxe. And that's, uh, huh. you know, take what you can from that, I guess. But buy it. <laughs> Spend an insane amount of money on it. That's the takeaway. But the Mario, the Mario game, I remember being great. I do wish they it's streamlined uh, the loading back into things because it, it is just like, that's not how games are anymore. Um, if I wanted to use an item, let me push pause and use an item or something like that. Uh, but, uh, you it's know. It's a full game. They're both full games. It's, so. Yes, it is two very full games that yeah. co-op, I think, could be a good time. Cool. So that's new Super Mario Luigi Bros. U Deluxe for Switch. Um, I guess I I guess we kind of already covered Mortal Kombat for my playlist, but I'll I'll just mention that playing it, uh, it's real good. Uh, I don't think it is a huge departure from X, um, Mortal Kombat X, um, but that's not bad because Mortal Kombat X was excellent. No pun intended. And I think that there are lots of tiny little tweaks that I think, you know, that real intense fans of the of the franchise will like. For my money, the, the best parts, uh, the things that I was excited about. In fact, I talked about this when we were talking about uh, you know, a few weeks ago when we were predicting the games we would like in the year. And I was saying that I hope because of Injustice 2 that Mortal Kombat adopts the gear and um, adding new clothing bits and stuff, uh, loot basically uh, that Injustice 2 did. And it has, they have these cool, this really cool take on it. That's different from Injustice 2. You are now uh, able to add swap in and swap out items that will give you certain bonuses. You're actually able to swap in and swap out move sets. And there are different moves uh, cost certain things. You're able to put them in slots but some cost more than one slot. So you have these builds that I think will be discussed online at infinitum about, you know, which moves you should slot into which slots and which items you should be equipping and all that stuff is very fun. I love thinking that out and, and making those builds and none of those builds are tied to the actual cosmetic look of your character. So it's not like if you get a, a, a shirt that you think is goofy looking <clears throat> like you might in um, injustice you still like the stats on it. You wear that goofy shirt. Now there are these set looks of characters that have all been designed by the art team and you select which look you want. And then you build out which other items are equipped and it, it doesn't matter. You know, you can make it look how you want and play how you want. I think that's a a smart move forward. And it sounds like they're not doing loot boxes of any kind anymore. They're just doing, they're, they're doing, um, Loot crates, you know, uh, loot no. envelopes. Uh. <laughs> yeah, they're doing loot pyramids now. No, oh, no yeah. more boxes. Pyramids. <laughs> um, no, they're they're no longer doing randomized loot drops. It, it is if you want to get a thing, it sounds like you can decide you want to earn that thing, and it tells you exactly how you earn that thing, and you hmm. go earn it. Uh, so there's a series of quests in the game that'll earn you certain items and you can go, I want the dagger of infinite awesome. So you go, okay, I'm the dagger of infinite awesome co- requires me to do this, this, and this. So I'm going to do those things. I love that. I'm very excited about that. I think that's a better way to do it. Uh, and it sounds like to make up for that monetarily, the game now has what they're calling consumables with, of course, a K. And... Um, those were really cool. Uh, very, very cool. I played a couple of games with consumables 
and it was really cool, but also they were all free to me. <laughs> I don't know how uh, much I'll want to buy these consumables, how much they'll cost, etc. But basically, they let you equip uh, up to three of them. And again, some of them are more expensive than others as far as your resource management, not, not human money, but your resource. You can you have three slots available. Some of them cost more than one slot. And they're super easy to implement. You just literally move the right stick in a direction, up, down, left, or right. And you can pull in these uh, these consumables. And they're really fun. Like they'll throw a net at your character from, you know, like an old classic, I don't remember the cyber character that had netting what his name was, but um, it's like that. Or they'll call in, like Raid. You can call in Raiden to assist you, even though you're not playing as Raiden. He'll assist you for a second and do a cool move. Or you can, uh, you know, make a zombie arm come out of the ground and grab the character. All, all kinds of cool stuff that just you can deploy at a moment's notice in a match. But they are things that you use up, and they're they're rechargeable inside the context of the of the match. But I think once the match is over, you've used up one hmm. one item of that, and you have to buy them again. Are and they I don't earnable know if you can... in game or only that with Australian unclear. dollars? Unclear. <laughs> I don't know if it's they only expect, accept Australian dollars, uh, but it, it is it is clear to me that they will be purchasable for human money, but not clear to me whether they will also be earnable in game. Um, hmm. That remains to be seen. But it's a very cool effect that I got to experience without having to pay for it. So I don't know if I will find it less cool <laughs> if I had to pay for it. Well, I know but, what yeah. they did with 10. I remember being on the fence about it where like the gear and how you could change your stats and wondering how that would impact online play. But that I was very impressed when the game came out and you had to opt into that, right? Like the default would be everybody's on a level playing field. You could see people's cool loot, but you wouldn't necessarily go into a game and get pummeled by somebody. So I'd hope that consumables are the same thing that you're able, it doesn't, um, hurt the integrity of the online matchmaking where it's like, oh, I'm not going to win. I won it anyway, but let's pretend my skills were better. I'm not going to win because Jeff bought zombie arms, you know, and he's able to pin me down four times and I'm not able to, to break through that because I don't want to spend $4 to beat Jeff. All of that is uh, selectable in the online matchmaking. That's you can great. Say, I want to go in matches where that's allowed or not allowed. All of that uh, item and, and all the item stuff now is... Um, what do they call it um, uh, baselined, I guess, where you, you, it, it all is, if you have an awesome thing and I don't have an awesome thing, it averages it out and you oh, normalize a level playing field. Yeah. Normalize. That's yeah. right. Um, so yeah, that's all, that's all done. And, and it's all selectable in game menu. So they've, they've thought all that stuff through, but I think this is for like single player and even, even allowing, you know, if you so choose, you can allow that in an online match. Um, but it's a very cool effect, and it's very cool stuff, and there's tons of them, uh, different ones to choose from. So I had a great time playing. I mean, it's gorgeous. It, it's instantly fun. It feels thick and weighty and meaty and fun, and pulling off great moves is, is really satisfying, and it is full itchy and scratchy level violence and goofiness. Uh, and I, I, I really like the series, and I think they are just knocking these out of the park, and I'm, I'm, I think this is going to be another home run for Nether Realms. Also on my playlist, I know um, I haven't talked about Here's the Storm in a while. I wanted to just 
briefly talk about it because I do play it every day and I still love it. And that, you know, the game is quote unquote dead, <laughs> but I still find matches every day and play a lot of it. And a lot of people are still playing a lot of it. And there's a even sort of grassroots uh, tournaments that are popping up. Anyway, I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to talk about a, um, a an instance that happened just the other day where I got into a match uh, in a ranked game <clears throat> where, so there's this interesting thing that's happening. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with the term Smurf, Smurf accounts? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically the idea of a Smurf account is in a ranked environment in, in a competitive online game, a, a player who is very, very good will start a new account that looks like they've not played very much and is probably lower ranked and will get them match made against players who are much lower skill level so that they can trounce them. And that's their Smurf account. It's artificially smaller, artificially less, uh, less higher ranked than, than they really would be on their main account. So there's been a change recently with Heroes of the Storm where you team league team matchmaking there's a there's a solo matchmaking mode and a team matchmaking mode and up to a certain up to up until recently the team matchmaking mode required you to be in either a group of 2 or a group of 3 in order to participate well they removed that stipulation and now a single player can queue up for team league now which has made team league a much more sought after experience. And so the queue times in team league are much shorter than hero league. And it's the one everybody seems to be playing. It's certainly the one I'm playing, but I have noticed as someone who is on the lower end of, of MMR in, in team league has, has tends to be in a lower rank than even in my hero league ranking. I am finding what I think are very clearly Smurf, players because they can jump in with their friends and they're really high rank and they've got these uh, accounts that make them look like they're bronze. You know, they're, they're really low ranked and they can just trounce people. I was in a game the other day with a group of people and all of us were, were solo cures and we just all happened to also get on voice chat with each other, which is kind of rare to find a bunch of solo players who are all willing to get on voice chat. Oftentimes people will just stay off of the voice chat and won't participate in it. Or, you know, one or two people will be there, but the whole team was on voice chat. And we started playing a game against this team that I think was obviously Smurf accounts. They were really good and they were coordinated in a way you just don't see at our level. And they were just, destroying us in the early game. I mean, doing wombo combos that were setting us up and smashing us just in insanely efficient ways, <laughs> dropping uh, skills one on top of the other and making it so you can't escape because one character locks you down. Another character drops their thing. There are certain wombo combos that are pretty easy to accomplish. And there are others where you're just like, Oh, these guys, these guys are Smurfs. They're, they're just, this is just too coordinated. So, uh, you know, we were still having fun and talking and, and we kind of uh, stuck with it. And we're, you know, we're like, you know, everybody was like, these guys, they're, they're too good. They're too good. We're just going to get trounced. 
but we stuck with it and we kept fighting and we kept scraping and we started talking to each other and calling things out and communicating and getting on our game and playing sort of above our station. And we came back and we beat these guys and it was the most satisfying win I've had in Here's the Storm in years. I mean, it was, I was like jumping up and down in my seat when we won I couldn't believe we beat these guys. They were playing they were playing characters that you don't see at our level very often because they're playing characters at a really high skill cap and playing them at a very high skill level. It just seemed like we we did it. We were we were Rocky, we were David and Goliath. We, you know, we were the Hollywood movie of like we just kept scraping and kept trying and we were way behind at a certain point and we just won a couple of team fights. And I think they got overconfident at a certain point and we did it and it was so rad. And it makes me go, this is why I love this game. This is why I love competitive video games. When you play with a team, it was so satisfying and so awesome. It was your um, Ubisoft moment. Everyone came together and spoke on voice chat. (laughs) It was, it was our Ubisoft moment. And we were all like, Hey, Chet, uh, are you going to check the, those bodies for anything useful? Yeah, bro. I'll be over here uh, checking your six. That's what we said. That's cool, man. It, it's super rare, like to have that happen. It was great, man. It, it, it's there's so many moments where you're like, "This is why I hate video games. This is why I hate human beings because everyone's mad and it is every you know there's a couple of troublemakers and it's just going downhill and everybody's salty and it's not fun and we're getting our butts whooped and but the, but this time everybody hung together. We all talked it through. We all we all were like positive and having fun and sticking it with it and trying hard it was great it was great so what happened is all these uh pro players were playing and then there were little brothers and sisters like hey stop playing on my my account sarah michael get off my account and then you beat up the the (laughs) bad players yeah they're like we're you're far ahead enough ahead right now i'll (laughs) I'll go back into my room and you can take over oh thanks big brother and then uh and then we came back to win we're gonna go look at this super blood moon okay cool you guys can finish this from here and then jeff's like cracks his knuckles time to get going (laughs) all right ruin my feelings of awesomeness (laughs) um all right let's uh let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time what do you think about that Right now, right now. Raj, I see that you have been playing what might be my favorite board game at the moment, Seventh Continent. I have. I entirely purchased this off the back of you ranting about it on this show uh probably over a year ago now i think it was it's a kickstarter only thing right you can't buy this in stores which is a little unfortunate uh so i backed the kickstarter based off your recommendation i just went i'm going all the way in and got the full kit with the uh, expansions which are still yet to arrive i think they're due march this year uh and I finally uh, got it out of the, the box and uh, and gave it a whirl probably about a month ago now, I think, um, with my girlfriend. And um, she loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, it, it is, it's, I find it really difficult to describe to people as well. And it's something that I don't really talk about because 
they can't go and buy it now either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is like, well, why would we even talk about it? But I'm sure there'll be another Kickstarter soon. It's a very successful game. Uh, it is basically like a computer adventure game, but done with cards on a table. And it is a set, I mean, it's called Seventh Continent, and it is a set location. It is this continent that has been built out of quite literally hundreds of cards, these little square cards. And at any given point, you are exploring a subsection of the continent, and you wander around on it, and you have a whole bunch of different actions that you can do that are dictated by the features of whatever part of the land you are on of that continent. And you can discover things, you can find people, you can find items, you can build items, you can, uh, you have to feed yourself and survive on this island in certain ways, but there are mysteries to be uncovered, there are puzzles to be solved, there are things to find, there are places to go. Uh, it is a freeform open world adventure, but done with cardboard and paper and uh, not much else, quite honestly. Yeah, it's die, it's but Yeah, it, it, it's almost like a choose your own adventure, cut down D and D with cards. If that, like, it, yeah. it's such a hybrid yes. of a hybrid. Uh, but it, it it was really enjoyable, and uh, it it was a, a, set, a pretty steep learning curve for us. Neither of us play a lot of uh, board games. I dabble in every now and then. I used to play D and D back in back in the day, uh, but. Yeah, I, I we really really enjoyed it. We went through and played uh, the the one that they suggest the first campaign twice. Uh, didn't complete it on either occasion, uh, <laughs> but but had a great time doing it. We're almost positive we weren't playing it a hundred percent to the rules and how they're set up. <laughs> Constantly referring back to a book and an instructional video that they've um, produced, which I probably would say is the biggest letdown of the game so far. Is just whilst it does gloss over how you're meant to play every element of it, it doesn't really, I don't know, maybe it's catered towards someone who has a little more experience or uh, understanding of board games and, and how they all operate. But we found ourselves constantly going back to the video or constantly referring to the book and not having it very well set out for us and, and very open to interpretation. So I, I think if you can definitely play it or have a guide, then that would, would help a lot more. But it, it was it was still enjoyable. And whether we played it right or we didn't play it right, we enjoyed the experience. And, and definitely it sat on the dining room table, uh, even though it has this beautiful save card system where you can pack it all up and, and put it away. I think it was there for a good three weeks and we'd play it for like half an hour to an hour every night, sort of packing things up, moving things around. And, oh, we'll do this for 10 minutes and then, oh, no, not tonight. We won't. We can come back to it. And uh, it definitely had a, a, a very prominent position in the home for the period that we had it out. So it's um, awesome. Re- Really good time. I had a, had a great time. So thank you for the recommendation. And uh, oh, I'd encourage I'm, I'm you that you bring that it. Kickstarter back and you were sitting on the edge. It's worth doing. I can only shudder to think at what how many Australian dollars it costs. It is a massive game uh, that is not, not cheap. But um, Yeah, I don't have I'm a kidney anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it's a... Uh, it's great. I, I, I thoroughly recommend Seventh Continent. I think that's a fair criticism to say that it can be a little daunting. And I think the one thing that I learned as I played it was that you don't really need to understand all of it to dive in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because there are only a small number of actions you can ever do on any one tile. So you don't have part of the, the problem that I had when I sat down with my wife to play it the first time was that like, okay, here are the 48 actions you can do. And she's like, what? But you, <laughs> you can't ever do all of them at any given point. You can go on a square and you can be like, Oh, here you can swim or you can build a thing or you can, you know, you can craft a raft or you can, you know, climb this tree. There's just a few things you can do. So it's like, Oh, at that point, well, I want to swim. Okay. Well, here's how you do that. That's how you mm. could approach it rather than no understanding everything from the top from the word go. But, uh, but I do take your point and I think it's a, it's a valid one. Um, but it is, it's so clever and it has so many ideas in it. And this, this, I, this, this notion of being able to explore this continent and come back to places later that you've explored and you, you really get to under, understand and know the topography of this, this area. And there's cool things to be found and things that can go different ways every time you, you go there. And it's, it's an extraordinary system that they've devised and uh, it's an amazing game. It's also one that I think it could be quite easily translated into a, an app version as well. Like it is a very <laughs> set mechanic in how yeah. it operates and uh, the, the card system and so forth and how it, it reveals the areas of the map and the fog and everything. I, I, I don't think it would be a giant leap for them to make a digital uh, version. It's just whether they want to or not, I guess, is is more because I, I I get the feeling that they're very traditionalists in in the way that they create the game with a very unorthodox method of releasing it. Well, I I actually would be surprised if they're not working on that. There's so many uh, games now that are the board games that are being made into apps. But I will say that it's it would be kind of funny to to have something that really was trying to create the feeling of being a video adventure game. You made into a tabletop <laughs> it's very game, meta back into a video game yeah <laughs> yeah uh i will i will mention a game that i played recently i had a chance to hang out with a friend of the show and friend of mine uh, jeff engelstein who's been a guest um game designer himself and uh we got a chance to play a dinosaur island for the first time dinosaur island is a a game that came out recently that aims to give you the experience of basically running jurassic park uh, it's not called Jurassic Park, but it is it is a theme park that has dinosaurs. And the experience of running it includes all the kinds of things you might expect from a Jurassic Park, including dinosaurs going to eat your customers. Um, so this game is really interesting because it is definitely a, you know, a worker placement game where you are um, – you are selecting actions and 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 working with your uh, resources to do certain things and and decide how you want to allocate what what features of your theme park you want to build what you know whether you want to build more attractions or you want to build like a uh, an ice cream stand or all kinds of stuff you can you actually have a little board in front of you that turns into your dinosaur park. And you have little stalls that you can put dinosaurs in and or fill lawyers those with get dinosaurs. eaten out of that. Oh no, not not outhouse stalls. Uh, dinosaurs. No, no, the, people get eaten in this game. Okay. People straight up get eaten in this game. It's your customers that come to see the dinosaurs. Um, but uh, you also you also have a whole research side where you are researching DNA components to then create new dinosaurs into your park and you have to have the right number of stalls slots in order to build new dinosaurs. And then of course the people 
are drawn to your park. You have a, an excitement level that is that draws people, a certain number of people that you're, your park, and you literally pull them out of a bag, little people, meeples. Uh, you pull out of a bag and place them on your board to see how many people are coming to your park and what kind of people. There are regular customers and there are hooligans who don't pay. And then a certain number of them get eaten. There's a You have a security level that you have to maintain. And if the number of people at your park, the excitement level exceeds your security level, people are going to get eaten. Uh, so it's it's really fun. It is a very, very complex game. This is not for the faint of heart. There's a lot going on. There are a lot of fiddledy bits, tons of components. There are little dinosaur meeples and people meeples and scientist meeples. And you're doing researching with science and you're making money at your park. And then you're spending that money to build things and also maintaining the resources of, uh, you know, of your security level and all that stuff. A lot to think about, a lot to keep track of. In fact, <clears throat> I found it to be a little bit, a little bit unwieldy. Um, it's, it's very fun. We had a great time playing it. At least I did. Uh, but there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on and I feel like it could probably have been streamlined a bit more, but I, it's aiming to give you the, the experience of all the aspects that you would expect from a Jurassic park. So it's really going for it. Is there, is there winning? Is there finishing a game or is it just surviving as long as possible? No, no, no. It is uh, you are you're not cooperatively making a Jurassic Park or, or a dinosaur island. You are each making your own dinosaur island, and then whoever has the most uh, victory points at the end, whoever has the best island, and you you get victory points in a whole myriad of ways. Uh, there are uh, you know you, you you get points for making new dinosaurs. You get points for bringing people into your park. You get points for having certain amounts of money. There's lots of ways to get. There are bonuses and scientists that, that give you bonuses and there are special unique rules. Every time you play, you reveal uh, what they call plot twists that give you certain uh, special rules just for that session. Uh, so there are tons of ways to, to get points, but yes, everybody's competing to have the best dinosaur Island. And if my Island had no dinosaurs, but lots of ice cream, <laughs> that's a viable way to win. In fact, uh, one of the ways that I got points in my game is that I was trying to get all the different types of attractions that you can have. That you, you get a bonus, at least the, the special rule we had, gave you a, a bonus for having all the different kinds of attractions. So I was building banana stands. And <laughs> that's where the money stands. is. That's, there's always <laughs> money in the banana stand. Anyway, <laughs> Dinosaur Island. It's a, it's a massive game, very intense, but pretty cool. And if you're a fan of Jurassic Park, and have always fantasized about playing it. it. It really delivers on that theme. I think there are a lot of improvements I would make um, if I, you know, was given the chance. But I, I do think the game is pretty cool, and it certainly has tons going on with it. It's, it's just this massive box of pieces. <laughs> you mean you have tons of dinosaurs and people and all kinds of crazy stuff? Dinosaur Island. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have our parting gift coming up. So stick around for that. <clears throat> but uh, Raj Diut, thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thank you for having me. It's been a, been a pleasure. I always enjoy coming on the show and talking with you guys. Great fun. Oh, thank you. We enjoy having you. Tell the folks where they can keep up with you and your goings on online. Uh, you can find all of my writing pretty much over at reckoner.com.au. There's a bunch of stuff for tech, gadgets, and news, podcasts, and things. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. at at Raj Diut, D-E-U-T. 
Uh, and uh, if you want more, want to find out more about the Division 2 stuff and the preview that I wrote up for that, that's actually over at pressstart.com.au uh, and the lovely gaming guys over there. So lots to find out there if you need it too. Very cool. Christian Spicer, how about you? What do you got going on this week? The best way to keep in touch is Twitter at Spicer. Um, and then this show is, uh, I stream it live every Sunday on Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. We're live typically at 7.15 Pacific time. And those are uh, good ways to keep in touch and see what's going on. And hopefully next week, I'll Travis will have made his way to me and scored said touchdown. Um, and I think... Man, right when we started the show, I was like right at the end of Shadow of the Tomb Raider, a game I keep plugging away at and really enjoying from last year. So I'll have my, <laughs> you've been waiting for my full review. <laughs> Here it comes next week. Uh, but Jeff, nice. you need to play that game. I, I really want to get your uh, your opinion on it because it's, uh, yeah. it's fun. I keep I keep uh, meaning to, and I just gotta I just gotta wrap up Assassin's Creed Odyssey. That's all <laughs> never gonna get it, never gonna get it. <laughs> yeah. I've been playing way too much Heroes of the Storm lately. It's just eaten into my, all my other game time as well. Oh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do the Slash Filmcast, which is at slashfilmcast.com, talking about movies and TV shows. This week we're talking about Glass, the new M Night. Shyamalan movie and uh it's I think it is going to be a spirited discussion to say the least <laughs> so you're not going to want to miss that slash filmcast.com you can always email us here at the show at dlcfeedback at gmail.com we love getting your questions and your comments we love getting your quick questions we'll bring that segment back for 2019 as well so please keep quick questions coming as well and your parting gifts which brings us Parting gifts. Raj, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Uh, I have two, actually. The first I uh, just coincidentally came across a couple of days ago is a mini docu- uh, documentary on Mortal Kombat and the cheat code that changed gaming. Uh, I, I found this completely randomly the other day. Someone's put together a, a documentary on YouTube and it, it, ch- it essentially tells the story of the blood code, which enabled the blood effects to come back to mo- the original Mortal Kombat on some of the systems and the uh, fury that was erupted because of it and how it basically invented the ESRB rating system uh, that's now in use in America. So really interesting short documentary done by a fan of Mortal Kombat who's... Uh, got great production values and you find that uh on youtube if you search for mortal Kombat and the cheat code the changed gaming and my other is a little self-serving jeff i had on as a guest of a podcast that i produced last year as a series of interviews uh with internet celebrities that i met over the course of uh my time working and uh we talk about things that they're not necessarily famous for and jeff i had on talking about the experiences of him online dating and how he met his wife uh, and all about that. And you can listen to that now over at anchor FM forward slash IDQK, which is short for I don't quite know. In this case, I don't quite know Jeff Canada. So, yeah, check that out. There's a couple of episodes up there and more will be coming as we re-release them to the public. It's a fun it's a fun discussion, especially because uh, Raj was actually very instrumental in uh, 
acquiring my wife. <laughs> acquiring is the wrong word. But uh, in, I got in, her. Uh, Let's making, go. <laughs> making, <laughs> making, acquiring is not what I meant to say. Acqu- no. uh, making my girlfriend into my wife. Uh, he, was, he was. It still doesn't. Yeah, that, that doesn't help, Jeff. Doesn't <laughs> no? like, uh, uh, he. You are now his wife. Oh. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I've acquired you. He, I've given you he, to Jeff. Kidnap my girlfriend and make her into my wife. Uh, no, you guys should listen to it. It's pretty fun. Christian Spicer, what about you? You got a parting gift? Yeah, Narcos Mexico. I feel like uh, Narcos seasons, what, one and two? The first ones, uh, Pablo, were kind of, at least in my sphere of influence that I consume, talked about a lot. And then this third season or this new season, it's not even that new anymore. Maybe not a couple weeks, month maybe, came out and it kind of, I didn't hear much about it. It kind of came and went, I felt like. Uh, And I started watching it recently. I think I'm three or four episodes in. I'm really digging it. If you liked the first seasons of Mar- of Narcos, um, this season, you know, it is different. It's in Mexico and new cast and stuff like that. But it's Michael Pena, whom I love. I think he's a phenomenal actor. If you haven't seen End of Watch, maybe go see that as well before. Um, just a very powerful police movie that I, uh, I think he's great in. And so far, Narcos Mexico, it's on Netflix, and I've I've really been enjoying it. And no, uh, to the chat, I don't think you need to watch one and two first. They're, they seem like very different stories. Um, I have not finished Mexico yet, so I don't know. But the Pablo Escobar seasons of Narcos are also phenomenal. So take take your pick and start one, and, and hopefully you enjoy it too. Very cool. We got a listener-suggested parting gift. Uh, this came to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, this is pretty a, a pretty special one. This comes from Michael Kofi, a coffee. Uh, he talks at length in this email about uh, losing his father, which happened uh, very sadly and very suddenly uh, on New Year's Eve uh, 2018. So very, very recently lost his father. And he talks about how uh, difficult that was, obviously. And that he was asked to speak at his father's funeral and that uh, the way we end every episode of DLC with uh, think about what you put out into the world and make it a better place uh, resonated with him. He says, uh, I felt like that phrase summed up a certain aspect of my dad's life. One of his core beliefs, just be a good person. I know that so much of who I am, he says, was a result of my dad living his life with the same concept being ever present in his mind, which is really beautiful, I thought. <clears throat> and uh, I was honored to hear that. Um, and then he goes on to say that uh, I figured while I'm writing, I should bring up a parting gift as well. My dad loved music and my siblings and I were raised listening to Sting, The Police, The Beatles, Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel, Billy Joel, and so many others. Around a year ago, my dad discovered a group on YouTube called Leonid and Friends. It's a group from Russia <clears throat> that performs covers of songs from the group Chicago, one of my dad's favorites. It's amazing music. And Leonid and Friends does the music justice. Leonid and Friends is actually in the middle of their first tour in the U.S. It's a small tour, but one of the last texts my dad ever sent me was that he had just bought tickets to see them perform in Dallas. He was so excited. And this would have been, this would have taken place just recently on the 20th of January. Do me a favor and take just a few minutes to listen to some of their music. I hope it brings a bit more joy to your life. And I know my dad would have loved that. So I thought that was a beautiful sentiment. And I'm really grateful to Michael for emailing and sharing 
that. And uh, we certainly send our deepest and sincerest condolences to he and his family. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's a hard thing to hear, but uh, it sounds like his dad left a, a really enduring legacy and, and, and uh, was just a, a, a wonderful person. So thank you for sending that email. And <clears throat> I did uh, listen to some Leonid and friends and uh, I can, I can concur that it's uh it's really cool. So uh, give that a shot. Leonid and friends, you can find that on YouTube. My parting gift is a Christmas gift that I got from my wife that has turned out to be the greatest thing. It is a silicone microwave popcorn bucket. <laughs> there are a bunch of them that you can find online. I think my wife got the I think it's called like collapsible silicone microwave hot air popcorn bowl with handles. That's called just SEO. Your, yours is called S- <laughs> SEO is what yours is called. It just, uh, it just slides off the tongue. It's cheap. It's like 13 bucks. Uh, again, I, this is not a sponsorship. I, I'm just saying how much it blew my mind. Okay. This is just a plastic silicone thing. It looks really cheap. It's got a little plastic lid that's flimsy. You put unpopped popcorn kernels in it. You put it in the microwave for a few minutes. Nothing else. Literally nothing else. No oil. No nothing. Nothing. Just popcorn kernels. You can buy them. We bought. We happen to buy uh, Orville Rettenbacher popcorn kernels. Pour them, just a few of them, into the bottom of this thing. Put it in for a couple of minutes. It pops up the best, fluffiest, most delicious popcorn. It's unseasoned, obviously, because there's nothing in there. So I just you put some salt, and I actually bought some uh, fancy popcorn seasoning stuff, like white cheddar. You can just, you know, shake that on top a little bit. But even plain, it's healthy as popcorn can get because there's no oil, no butter, no garbage. And yet it is delicious. It is fluffy. It's perfect. I couldn't believe this thing. I'm a huge popcorn nut. I I just absolutely love popcorn. And uh, I have tons of it. I often have... uh, microwave popcorn in the house and i've been searching for great popcorn my dad used to make the best popcorn from scratch but he used oil this no oil so it it relieves that sense of guilt that i often have you gotta check it out it's amazing it's quite amazing all right that's gonna do it for this episode of dlc although there is a barely listenable segment coming up so if you want to have your ears shattered uh the way (laughs) glass is shattered with a with a baseball bat uh while attempting to hear me have a very, very high-level conversation with a game designer. Check it out. Otherwise, you can turn it off now. I won't be mad at you if you don't listen. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Raj Diot and Christian Spice for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us as well. You guys make the show better in real time. We appreciate that. We love hearing and reading your comments as we as we talk. It informs what we're talking about, and we appreciate it. Thanks to our musical contributors, Sean L, excuse me, Patrick L, Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. And thank you to all of you who download the show and listen. We appreciate you. And we will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. I'm joined by Steve Barron, who's the director of art for Mortal Kombat. The first thing you should know listening to this is that there are people smashing things very close to us. So you're yes. going to hear a lot of that. It's very noisy. <laughs> but uh, <We're> <laughs> I just had a chance to play about an hour of the game, Great. and it's phenomenal, as Good. usual. You guys, it seems like the 
the pace at which you come out with new fighting games and, and the level of quality doesn't seem to be possible, but it, I'm, I'm con continually impressed. Thank you, thank you. It's our, our studio is amazing. You know, we be cocky about it, but we just have so many good people on every level. And, you know, not just art, but tech guys who support us, animators, facial animators, yeah. character modelers, everybody. And our studio is so seasoned where I think it's a subconscious thing of like, yeah, we always wanted to do better and we're always just pushing it. Like, you know, this game looks so much better than even our last game. It really does. Yeah. I, I was commenting that it it looks like full motion video. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because the, you know, the Mortal Kombat franchise, the way it differentiated itself way back when in the 90s was yep. that it was real images of real human beings in costumes. Absolutely. And now we're kind of back there even though that's not what we're seeing. I think that's a great point. I, uh, I just brought that up with somebody the other day. Of, you know, of course, I've been around on MK since MK3, and the it's almost full circle. It's very much full circle. Where back then, we would pick out actors and models of like, yeah, she looks like a good katana. Let's pick her out of this you know, modeling agency. <laughs> right, right. And we're doing the same thing now, where it's like, Oh my god, you know, this guy would be a great Johnny Cage. Let's get him in. And we have a facial scanner. Yeah. And it's like, wow, he looks exactly like the guy we picked out from the book. So it's it is very much full circle. And but I mean it looks it looks like people in costumes again. It, I mean it, even hear. though it's all digital, it's incredible. Yeah, it, uh, it was an honor to like just last week we uh, we uh, released a, a render of Scorpion. And people were like, No, it has to be rendered offline and it's not in game. It's like no, it is, but it's like good like hearing people. It's like, no, there's no way it can be. Yeah. And it was good hearing, you know, you play the game and like... Oh, it's stunning. It's good. gorgeous. Yeah, um, it's, it's, uh, I'm really proud of that. Our whole studio is. As you should be. Um, one of the things I was super impressed with with Injustice 2 was the level of customization yeah. and adding items and loot to the, to the yep. mix. And I'm pleased to see that that has made its way into more combat franchise as well with Eleven. Can you tell me a little bit about how Absolutely. they... Have you implemented that? Absolutely. Um, you know, rewind a little bit further. Uh, going back to MKX, that was one of the initial ideas that Ed had was introduce variations. And back then, it was just yeah, more of an accessory that the character would wear, like Scorpion. He had the fire, fire skull, uh, skull that meant he had these attributes. So then we took it the next step further with Injustice 2, uh, introducing more gear pieces, but all those gear pieces had attributes attached to them. This game, we wanted to take another step further and not limit people. So we wanted to have the player pick the coolest scorpion mask that they wanted, but instead of having the attributes married to that piece, we're going to let you augment it and give it the abilities you want. You, know, you have three slots. Every character has three gear slots, and each of those gear slots you can power up throughout the game. And um, there are additional skins, so it's not just the gear pieces, but there's additional skins that go along with it. You can also power them up. So um, the game is full of full of content. Period. I'm amazed how much content is in this game. This is it's outstanding. But so you'll be rewarded these uh, upgrades constantly throughout the game. So the more you play, the cooler stuff you get, the more rarities you get. Um, I love that idea. Just you know, playing online and it's like, oh my god. That guy has this piece I never saw before, and yeah. he's talking and wanting to play the game more. So, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a dream come true to me for me. It's like being able to customize 
Scorpion. Yeah. And I have past and present versions of Scorpion. Really scratches an itch for me and for you know fans. Sure. Who grew up with the series. So, yeah, I, I was. Uh, meddling a little bit around in the uh, the customization menu, which I'm sure, sure is limited in this demo, but yeah, it, is. Um, it looks really cool because with Injustice, you had these costume pieces that had certain things that would affect how you look. It sounds like you've divorced the actual costuming from the loot a little bit. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. And with this game, we definitely went for more obvious changes with um, Injustice 2 some of the changes were a little bit more subtle so you didn't really get a really a profile change but this game all the pieces we have are like bah that's obviously different oh, yeah it's obviously a different spear for Scorpion and um, yeah the amount of variation that people can come with up with are virtually endless it's really cool and then in addition to that you're changing move sets and you have yes. a certain amount of slots to use up for specific moves and some moves are more expensive than others for yeah. absolutely yeah yeah so you can you can uh, customize your own taunts between rounds you wow. have different taunts and you know, those will be unlocked throughout gameplay uh, different victories different fatalities and so you can make your ultimate character for sure it's really and cool on the flip side of that, of that too um, if people want to play tournament where just there's an even playing field, right. you can play a tournament mode where it's those um, customized characters are not so much there. Yeah, it's just keep things balanced. Are you able to talk about how you earn th that loot in this game? Is it the same as Injustice, or is there? <laughs> it's um throughout every mode you'll be able to unlock uh, gears and augments. Uh, probably the the easiest way or the most. Um, visual way to find out what you're going to earn is by playing Towers of Time, where before you even set out, it's a, you know, if you complete these eight levels, you'll get this. Right. So if you see something in this, like, almost like a shopping list of, like, oh my god, I need this Scarlet Mask, because it's, I love Super cool. Or, yeah. yeah. Or <laughs> I want to build up my Scarlet, I can, oh, there's augments for her, I'm going to play that tower. And there's going to be character-specific towers, too. Like, you want to focus on your scorpion. It's like, I'm going to go to that tower and just muscle through it and play and just build them up to uh, get what you want. So I think that's awesome. So you're not you're not getting random loot boxes this time. You're actually able to target a specific piece of gear yeah. you want. There'll be, you know, there'll be a certain degree of randomness, you know, just through playing normal head-to-head -head play. Yeah. But throughout the towers, towers of time, you can kind of steer it to... Uh, to your goals. Yeah. Uh, Towers of Time is, is really, really cool. I've um, just been playing it more and more over the last week. Um, you can use um, modifiers to, like, have players tag team in to help you. So it's like, okay, I'm having trouble beating Raiden. Yeah. I want to have Scarlet be my backup. And even though I'm playing Sonya, and if I do... Um, fairly easy way to activate her. You can just call her in, she does a few moves, jumps back out, and... Uh, yeah, I, I, I was experimenting with that a little bit. It said use consumable. Yeah, consumable. Yeah, yes. and you uh, you can buy these cool things, and it's just attached to the right stick, right? You yeah, just, it's really yeah, easy to activate. It's super cool. And it's like it's super cool nostalgic stuff, too, where uh, 
Raiden will shoot a acid ball. Yeah. Or Raiden, Reptile, sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's like, where the hell did that come from? It's like, no, I love Reptile. He's off screen somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, but there's going to be tons of that kind of stuff where it's kind of kind of arcadey, you know, yeah. kind of going back to old school arcades, but uh, also playing with just the nostalgia of MK. And I know that we're not talking too much about story right now, sure. but the story does involve time travel yeah. and messing with time and characters meeting older versions of themselves, which is very cool for a, a series as old as this that has as much history as this one has to be able yeah. to draw from. Are we able to see specific moments from older games? Are you able to tease I, any of that? I, I tease a little bit. I think um, that was one of the main hooks of this game. Then, you know, we ended up last game with, like, Raiden, you know, spoilers, but, you know, decapitating Shinnok, uh, and, like, this holy shit moment. He's, like, he's lost it. Yeah. And we continued this story with that of Kronika. We introduced Kronika, and she's the keeper of time. And she realizes that there's this major blip on the radar of, like, wow, this all-around good guy of Mortal Kombat is going off the deep end. Right. Still, you know, still not crazy, but he's just fed up with being a nice guy. And, uh, and then, so that was a driving factor. And then the more we thought about it was, like, yeah, it would be really cool to have old characters meet up with the newer versions of themselves, or older characters versus characters from 20 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, Johnny's a good example of that, of, like, Johnny was a complete douche when he was a 20-year-old kid, <laughs> yeah. you know, back in 92, yeah. and Those now, he's, now he's a 50-year-old guy, it's like, Jesus, I was that guy. Yeah, that's and cool. So that's, that's, that's an example. Um, but, you know, you can imagine other characters, you know, we have such a rich history of Sony and Sub-Zero, and yeah. you know, Scorpion would be a great example, too, where now he's kind of, he knows the truth about his family, and he's going to run into 1992 version of himself of, like... Yeah, that's right. The more angry version. So I love uh, being able to have that to draw from. And so yeah, it's very rare. You know, there's not very many franchises that have been around that long to be able to Absolutely. do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that was probably the main factor that drove story. And I think it's going to be a uh, it's a great story. You know, our, our stories get bigger and bigger every game. And this game is um, it's just freaking crazy. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm happy we we demand a lot of ourselves, but it's like. Yeah, there's this full game, and that's variations and everything, towers of time, everything, and then oh yeah, there's a two-hour movie. Yeah, plus this full experience. Yeah, but um, it's an honor to do. You know, it's it's a um, I love being able to expand the story, expand the universe. Um, You know, the original it goes back to the MK1. we didn't have movie mode, obviously, but we had attract mode screens. And John Tobias and Ed would write these little blurbs of Sony hates Kano because of this. And, right. and then people kind of you know built up their own story based on those ideas. You know, in between every two years, the game would come out, and um, to have that roll into full-blown movies now is. Well, I, I think your studio is doing storytelling in a fighting game better than anybody yeah and it's uh it's pretty cool and it i also appreciate the fact that it seems like the the time between when you announce a game and when it's released has been compressed you guys aren't yes you know we're this is just a few months away and we're gonna be playing it yeah 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 it's um it was definitely hard keeping this one 
under wraps for sure. It was just like, it's just such a, you want to show people, yeah. and you want to get feedback, and yeah, usually we have E3 right. to do that, but um, I'm glad we did it this way. Like, I think we held on to it, we had to focus on what we wanted to do. E3 can often be, even though it's fun, and a little it, much. It can kind of like yeah. you go over there for a while. It's like no, I go over there and finish the game. Right. And with that, with this game, we got to focus on the goal. So that's it, great. Uh, it thinks better, and I think it gave it a better presentation today because of it. Well, I appreciate you talking to me, no problem, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to go smash some stuff now. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Dying to watch somebody.